Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm Diadam Salonkomer, the host of this channel, and today I'm here with Dr. Eugenia Rosu to talk about her book, Orthodox Christianity, New Age Spirituality and Vernacular Religion, The Evil Eye in Greece. The title itself uh, got my attention in a sense that the title itself put three interesting religions or spiritual movement in the title itself. So this is a very interesting title and this is something which caught my attention and today um, the author, Dr. Eugenia, is here to talk about uh, the contents of the book and also some of the interesting works that has come out uh, of this very book. So uh, let me straight away go to the author herself and ask her something about herself. Yeah, so Dr. Eugenia, can you tell us something about yourself? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here and discuss my book with you. Um, I'm currently a full-time researcher at CRIA, the Center for Research in Anthropology in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, my academic path has been almost exclusively anthropological, and it was during my BA studies in Greece that uh, I first became interested in the belief in the evil eye. Uh, then during my master's studies at Goldsmiths College London, I had this wonderful course by Professor uh, Brian Morris, who was basically the most inspiring teacher I ever had, who led my anthropological uh, interest and, uh, well, my academic path to the anthropology of religion. And then I began a PhD at UCL University of London, where I decided to choose the practice of the evil eye as the main theme of my doctoral thesis and studied in a more profound way. Uh, so the book is primarily based on my PhD thesis, but um, also with my, many more improvements in terms of theory and analysis, because um, during the last decade I did uh, additional fieldwork uh, in Greece uh, for the needs of my current research project. So I amended many of my initial findings uh, of the book. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Now, coming to the book itself, and as you have said that this book is a product of your PhD work with um, improvements in there. Uh, can you tell us about the journey of how did you come to this topic? Because I think with any researcher, and specifically with anthropologists, we go to the community, live with them and study them. And I think there's a there's a sense of a personal journey in the sense of how you go to the field, how you identify a field in a sense, and you know how you work with them. So uh, there's so much involved in even uh, picking up a topic, picking up a community, and also doing a lifelong research in in and among certain people. So can you tell us about the journey? Yeah. Uh, the journey, I think, was primarily autoethnographical in a way that I was, since a very, very young age, I was involved with the belief in daily life. For example, my mother would uh, do the ritual against daily life for me since the age of three or something. Uh, so, in, in a way, I was always curious about. What is it? Uh, what is this invisible power that can make us sick? And then it would require a religious ritual in order to, to remove all these bodily symptoms for, from one's body. So I think the journey began <laughs> somewhere in my childhood, unconsciously, without actually knowing that I would study anthropology a couple of decades later, or a decade later. Um, so this is, in a way, this is how it started, because uh, I was always interested to study religion and the supernatural and what's beyond uh, the, this uh, material, let's say, and um, bodily culture of ours. Um, so in this, in this sense, um, I, I thought I would just go back to, to, not to my own community because I come from a village in northern Greece, but I decided to, to go to the two major, two, two, of, two major, no, not the, the two uh, largest cities in Greece, uh, but the second largest city in Greece and in the island of Crete, where the Evilai was approached in a way in two different uh, ways. And uh, so I would also have this comparative aspect of it. And uh, yeah, do in a way um, not a, a biography of my, my own culture, but go back with a fresh eye and study the Evilai uh, through an ethnographic perspective this time. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, that's very true, and I think many anthropologists, in that sense, um, does that, and also there are also many critical discussion on all all of this methodological aspect, and and that's something which is quite very interesting, which all anthropology have to deal with in terms of the methodological aspect of it. But uh, coming again, coming uh, to the book itself, and. Specifically coming to the title, uh, when you say Orthodox Christianity, New Age Spirituality and Vernacular Religion. Now, obviously there is a history attached to these movements in Greece. And now, so can you can you tell us something about, it, you know, the, the contextual existence of Orthodox Christianity and how New Age Spirituality comes into this picture and what is this Vernacular Religion that you are talking about? Can you just give a historical overview and then the contextual aspect of it? 
Yes. Um, yeah, the main focus of the book is the vernacular aspect of religion and spirituality, meaning that how people during their everyday lives practice uh, their religiosity, to use a, a more a term that incorporates in a way both religion and spirituality. Um, well, religion is employed in the book as synonymous to the prevailing religion, institutionalized religion in, in Greece, which is Orthodox Christianity. And uh, spirituality uh, is the, um, uh, all these practices that, let's say, do not belong to the uh, uh, organized, uh, institutionalized part of, of Greek religiosity. Um, so in that sense, I wanted to see how the two would work together at the level of everyday practice. So this is where the vernacular part and the lived religion that I also use in the book uh, come along. Um, I must say that when I first went to do my field work, I, would, my, my, I had no idea that I would find the New Age spirituality there. Because the, traditionally, the belief in the evil eyes is directly linked to religion. Um, although, well, there is a long story there because um, the, the Orthodox Church um, accepts a certain part of the evil eye, but not the everyday ritual performance by lay healers. So there's a big controversy about uh, religious power and authority there, which we can talk later if you would like. But um, So when I actually went to the field, I realized that uh, something in the practice had changed. So people in their everyday practice, my, my, my interlocutors, not, so as not to generalize, had already begun to use uh, the concepts of energy, for example, or spiritual uh, practices or spiritual healing in their own uh, everyday ritual performances. Uh, and suddenly I realized that I cannot really do a research um, that is about a traditional Greek belief. Something has changed in that belief. And this is how the concept of New Age spirituality began to insert itself, in a way, in, 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 my, in my writing and, and ultimately in the book. Um, and it all started in... It, it, the New Age, uh, although it, it kind of existed um, since the 60s in Greece, it was... Uh, and it had always been related globally to the um, hippies movement, all these ideas of... Uh, the freedom of spirit and of um, alternative forms of healing and holistic health and the holistic health movement, which was a big thing in the US at the time. Um, in Greece, um, it was only, you know, this, like, this, this type of um, a movement that had inspired the New Age to be practiced, but it was very, very uh, specific and practiced by... Uh, uh, few people, anyway, uh, to make a long story short. So for me to, to go to Greece in 2005 and uh, suddenly find uh, that New Age spirituality had in a way revived um, and was becoming more and more popular was a big surprise. Um, and this is how it all started in a way.
Yeah, um, very interesting. As you have explained about the Orthodox Christianity and New Age spirituality and how it works, I think, and especially in the context uh, that you are studying, uh, it, it, it's quite interesting. Now, I think... Obviously, you say something about New Age spirituality, but I think to be to go deeper into it, what I mean, there are so much discussion on this question. But what exactly is this New Age spirituality? Oh, <laughs> that's a huge question. I mean, this is uh, well these days. Uh, I think the majority of anthropologists and social scientists and researchers in general try not to use the term because it has been a quite problematic term by many. Um, it involves basically uh, all types of holistic type of healing, uh, a turn to, to alternative ways of, of approaching also nature and um, religion itself. And in, it involves this vast uh, amount of different types of alternatives uh, Alternative. I use the word also alternative because this is how my own interlocutors use it, um, of, of practices that basically do not belong to an institutionalized, organized religion. This is how I approached it because exactly because it involves this vast amount of practices, I decided to go to the Udemic uh, perception of the concept so this is basically how my own interlocutors in Greece uh, used it. So, and this is how I use also uh, the concept of New Age analytically in the book uh, to respect, in a way, the you know the, my interlocutors' idea of what New Age is and what the practices that they perform during their vernacular religiosity are, um, and try to make it a little bit more um, restrained so that it doesn't include this chaotic <laughs> uh, amount of different practices because this is basically what it is. Um, and so um, moving on, as we try to put the discussion into context, uh, one more conceptual clarity that needs to be done is within. Um, religion and spirituality so this distinction between religion and spirituality how do you understand this aspect uh this is yeah this is another big uh, question um there is um yeah there's this stereotype uh, that uh, religion and spirituality can are uh, antithetical uh, and they clash uh, in between them um my approach was different because exactly, and again, this comes from my own fieldwork because I primarily saw how creatively uh, my interlocutors would employ both religion and spirituality in their field. And in that sense, religion can consist of spirituality and spirituality also can be a form of religion. This is how, this is what and how my approach is. Um, and there is also a uniqueness in the relationship between religion and spirituality in Greece, uh, in the sense that uh, in the Western culture, denominational religion and individualized spirituality are, as I said, perceived as uh, separate and uh, practiced in antithetical terms. 
But in Greece, um, there was this uh, uh, softness of boundaries, let's say, between the two. And um, this is also why I decided in the book to use uh, religion as synonymous to Orthodox Christianity, spirituality as synonymous to New Age, but use the word spiritual to refer to both religion and spirituality in order to denote that well, uh, Orthodox Christianity also uh, has spirituality, who cannot deny that. But as I said, uh, also, um, yeah, uh, on the other hand, uh, New Age spirituality includes uh, many keen, <laughs> is very close in a way with, with, uh, with, with religion. Yes. So, me coming from India, I mean, the similar idea of um, kind of evil eye is somehow prevalent here in the Indian context also. So I was curious as to, in the context that you are studying, Chris, uh, where did this idea of evil eye come from? And how does it work in terms of, as you talk about Christianity and in terms of New Age spirituality and vernacular religion and all, uh, you know, how, how does it work, the evil eye, and where did it come from? Uh, well, the the main Greek explanation, at least that I found, is that uh, it is it, it comes from ancient Greece, because um, and more specifically because the goddess Athena had like very intense blue eyes, so uh, whenever she was jealous of something or someone, she would cast a gaze and would make. The yeah, common people, let's say, sick. Uh, so this is like one of the main explanations that um, I was given. Um, now, as for how the evil eye works, it's basically through everyday uh, sensory communication, uh, primarily through the gaze. So when two people look at it, one if one person looks at another person with jealousy or with negative feelings, uh, then he or she has the power to give uh, to the other person the evil eye. Um, and this also uh, works with uh, the mouth, uh, so with gossiping. So when someone gossips about another person, again, with a negative uh, type of feeling, then would he or she would also cast the evil eye. As a result, the, the, the person who would receive the power of the visual or of the verbal uh, negative activity, let's say, uh, would in turn feel uh, sick, would, have, would develop bodily symptoms of illness on their body and would then require a specific ritual type of healing in order to... To, 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 to get rid of the evil eye from, from, from the body. Yeah, uh, interestingly, now you mentioned uh, sickness, uh, one of the symptoms of evil eye. So, I mean, so, so is there any other symptoms that can be seen as an affliction of the evil eye? Or, yeah, or how do I know that uh, I have some, uh, someone's evil eye on me in that sense? I will answer from both as uh, not autoethnographer who has actually received all these symptoms in her body, but also 
uh, my own experience correlates with uh, my interlocutor's experience. Um, so one of the main, main symptoms is when someone feels headache. So uh, it, 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 it's, very, it, 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 it's a very common symptom. But the headache is, um, is a, a very different headache. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's a headache and where that cannot pass with paracetamol or other kind of uh, medica- <coughs> uh, medication. And uh, so uh, it's it's a matter of experiencing uh, this particular symptom. So then you can recognize it as part of the evil eye. And um, also, obviously, there is this part of the whole practice where uh, when you see someone that you know that potentially could give you the evil eye, then, and then you develop some bodily symptoms, then in a way you know that these symptoms come from this, uh, this particular uh, person. So it's not a symptoms of some kind of uh, sickness, but it is from the evil eye. Um, this, is, this is quite contradictory because uh, it has been... Uh, analyzed in the past by other anthropologists in Greece as a, a way to of social control. So, uh, well, especially in smaller villages, um, the power of the evil eye is a power of control. So when you want to, uh, when you see someone who is above average, uh, socially speaking, or who is more beautiful, or who has more money, or... Uh, uh, belongs to a different social class, then you give them in a way they rely in a subconscious way, but also sometimes consciously, so that you you punish them for this um, uh, difference, let's say. Uh, in my book, I did go again, against, uh, I, I did criticize uh, this um, this analysis because uh, in, in it it was it, I didn't I didn't actually um, find ethnographically this form of control. The the power and uh, authority negotiations were at a different level, not uh, in in terms of social controlling uh, the community. Yeah, and following up, I think one of the question is: so how, how does this evil eye gets transmitted in that sense? Because uh, is is it that the sensory experience that someone is having? Is it that the, the sensory experience is getting transmitted in an in an evil form, or is it is there some kind of rituals involved, or is there some kind of postures, or, wh- or whatever? In, yeah, it may be. So, what is the process of transmission? Most of the times, it is it is uh, transmitted uh, without the person who has the eli uh, who who can give the eli can understand that uh, he, he or she can actually transmit it. Uh, so uh, in some cases, though, the, from what I heard, for example, that there are people, there, I, I met, I'll give you just a specific example. There were a, a few women who, with whom I talked with during my fieldwork uh, that um, would know that would feel jealous of a small baby, for example, because they themselves couldn't have any babies uh, and children. 
But in these cases, uh, consciously, and because they knew that they would transmit the EBI to, to a small child, they would give instructions of how uh, to prevent their, their EBI force to affect the child. Um, so these, there are these uh, specific ways of uh, little charms or little um, spiritual, let's say, <laughs> techniques that they employed in order not to transmit the EBI. Uh, but yeah, most of the times people do not really admit that they can transmit the EBI. Uh, or if they do, it would not be um, uh, someone who would transmit the EBI and then cause illness. It would be someone who would see someone on the street and then the other person would fall down, for example, or would trip. Uh, so it would, they would admit to these small uh, effects that their energy would have, but... Uh, not that they would cause uh, some serious illness. And on the other hand, there is, I've, uh, there is also the concept of uh, the good eye. So, and this, normally this is uh, something that people can relate to and they, they admit because it, it's related to the, something positive and not something negative. So basically, I admire you with very positive feelings and then I can give you the lie. But it comes from a very good place and very good emotional state. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. So is there any relation between what you call as evil eye and what we normally call as luck, in a sense, a good luck or bad luck? Yeah, there is, um, there is, and there is not at the same time. Although I did find um, a relationship between what in Greece we called gademia, so this is a, exactly yeah, it, it is a form of bad luck. Uh, but um, whereas the evil eye would be something more individually transmitted, the bad luck would require. Uh, a bigger source or would have a greater effects on on people for example you know it would um, ruin their business because too many people would uh, cast the <laughs> on that particular business and and it would close down um, so there is this parallel um, like concept of the evil eye as related to bad luck but it's not exactly this the evil eye can cause bad luck but not always got it yeah uh, before you mention about how a good intention can also cause that evil eye to happen so i mean normally it should be like if, if there's a good intention then obviously there should be some good result to the uh, person so how does this uh, good intention translate into evil eye the, the main belief is that everything has to do with energy. The evil eye, uh, the evil eye that I, uh, the explanation about the evil eye that I met again during my fieldwork. Um, so it depends on if if, it's, if we talk about positive energy or negative energy. Um, it's, it, it's what I said before. If someone has uh, positive feelings about someone else, then. The, the evil eye would not be as powerful uh, if it comes from a negative energy and um, or if they would consciously want to cast negative energy 
then it it would cause an evil type of file. Also, I would you know I want to to, to say here that emotion plays a big important role uh, on this. It is all about it, senses and emotions play an important role. So it is all about the kind of sensory communication and emotional attachment one would have the, uh, with the other, and how this communication would. Um, function individually, but also uh, in in the context of uh, the everyday social uh, types of interactions. Yeah, and you also mentioned in your book about uh, evil eye and gender. So how does this uh, gender perspective come into play in the aspect of evil eye and this and this ritualistic aspect? There is the stereotype. <laughs> let's come. Uh, let's start with that. Uh, that uh, the the traditional evil eye healer or the healer, the, the, yeah, is 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 an old woman somewhere <laughs> in, in in a small village in the nor in in the mountains of Greece. Um, in a way, in in my book, I tried to to. To, to to maintain uh, the assumption and the openness that uh, they like can be healed from both genders because uh, perhaps I was I was I don't know I was not lucky but I was more open to find um, many men also who would practice um, the ritual against the, the evil eye and heal people very effectively. Uh, but it is a fact that um, especially the ritual against the evil eye has um, a, a gender uh, role uh, within it and uh, it is a quite important form of gender empowerment. So women healers do um, have a, a, a quite important social status in in their community or in their neighborhood um, if they know how to heal from the evil eye. This doesn't mean, as I said, that men do not practice it because I found that it was also a masculine uh, a ritual or therapeutic activity in many, many cases. Uh, but yeah, so in, in that sense, uh, it is about gender empowerment, especially when it comes to women. And there is also this other aspect of it because um, also uh, this uh, female empowerment through the ritual therapeutic practice against the evil eye um, goes, goes against the authority of the male priest. So uh, we have this kind of dual uh, relationship between religion, spirituality, uh, Orthodox Christianity, New Age spirituality, male priest, female lay, lay healer. But also, this is why I'm saying that it's all relative and it's all complex and creative because there are many stories where female uh, healers... Um, Treated male priests against the lie. So it's it's all this uh, you know everyday <laughs> negotiations of ritual power that exist. That uh, yeah, it, they're really really fascinating. 
Now, you mentioned that one of the prominent affliction of evil eye is the um, sickness. Uh, sickness is one of the prominent affliction of the evil eye. So, obviously, there is or there should be a remedy to this one, and that is the process of healing. So, can you tell us something about or elaborate something on the healing process of those people who are afflicted by this evil eye? Yeah, uh, the majority of uh, healing g- comes uh, is is performed through uh, religious praying. So basically, almost all healing uh, involves um, some kind of ritual that with uh, water and oil and olive oil, uh, which is also di- uh, linked directly to jesus christ and how he sat under the olive tree in this uh part of uh, religious tradition let's say um so it it there is the religious prayer there and uh, so the, the the healers recite this prayer they for in the most um important or most popular uh healing they use water and oil, and they 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 start um, putting oil in the water. And if it dissolves, then the person has the life. If it doesn't, then it's 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 he or she either doesn't have the life, or they 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 are already healed. Um, so they the part that I that was uh, new and novel and has to do with new age spirituality is that. During this uh, predominantly uh, religious ritual, um, again, as performed by lay healers, I'm not talking about how the priest can remove the evil eye away from a person, Um, they also use uh, New Age objects. Um, For example, they use um, energetic or New Age stones next to this uh, cup of water and oil that I mentioned. They use feng shui objects to kind of cleanse the energy uh, around the person. Or they, some of them also used uh, sound healing. So they had New Age music, for example, playing in the background while performing these religious connected uh, ritual. Yeah, you mentioned, I mean, when you're talking about healing, you mentioned about church. And interestingly, you say that, uh, you know, the evil, the kind of evil eye is kind of accepted in the Orthodox Christianity, but uh, without the ritualistic aspect of it and all those things. So uh, can you elaborate more on what is the Orthodox Christianity understanding of this evil eye and how do they understand this new age spirituality and also this evil eye and, you know, how much do they accept it and how much it is, like, kind of talked about or kind of, like, you know, prominent in the everyday lives of the people? Yeah, I, I did mention before the, well, the, the other aspect, the inverted aspect of it, having priests uh, asking from ritual healers uh, to to remove the evil eye, but uh, the official um, position of the Greek Orthodox Church is that uh, it exists. It doesn't. It isn't called evil eye. It's called vascania. So it's uh, another term that uh, it's the ecclesiastic term that also exists in. In the, in the writings of the religious fathers and teachers, etc. Um, 
And uh, so in that sense, you can only uh, get the evil eye removed uh, from someone if you go to a priest and he reads a prayer, a church ecclesiastic prayer uh, to you against it. Um, this is the only, the only uh, type of the evil eye that the church accepts. As far as the New Age spirituality is concerned, uh, in the last couple of years, it has been this huge, um, um, well, um, in many ways, uh, aggressive uh, uh, opinions from some religious, uh, some some quite um, important and well-known religious uh, leaders uh, in the Greek Orthodox Church against yoga, for example, or against all all types of uh, New Age, because they do call it New Age, interestingly enough. Uh, So, uh, yeah, there, there has been this huge... Um, well, controversy with regard to, to how and why a new age is like a part of a new society of the 666 and it, it's gonna, you know, the devil is, has already arrived and it's all um, uh, evil um, and it has to be classed in a way socially, culturally and ritually um, but also this is an effect and uh, a reaction exactly because uh, since uh, 2005 that New Age spirituality was a big- beginning basically to become popular. It was, I was lucky enough to start to study it from <laughs> the beginning of its popularity. Until now, um, it, 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 it has actually become part of uh, people's everyday life. Uh, it has become considerably more popular than it used to be. And in that sense, the Orthodox Church obviously has to maintain its authority, its religious authority and its place and position uh, within the contemporary Greek religiosity. So it it's uh, in socially, at least, it is uh, it is what would one would expect um, to react against it, against the power, the newly developed power within a uh, Greek religiosity. Yeah, and again, one interesting chapter that you uh, that you kind of uh, discuss on, and the idea that you discuss on is the idea of materializing this evil eye, this aspect of evil eye. Now, that you have provided some pictures in your book, uh, which actually something which I have also seen uh, in, 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 in India also, the kind of, uh, you know, am- amulets and all of those aspects. So um, how does this work, this materialization of this evil eye? Uh, is the transfer, uh, power transmitted in the material and how, how does this transmission of power happen or what really is it? Mm. Uh, yeah, one of the most important actions against the evil is through the material prophylactic uh, objects that one can buy so that he doesn't, they kind of work as a mirror. Um, if someone gives you the evil eye, they can reflect it back to its its giver. Uh, and uh, yeah, there is um, a big 
uh, well, social life of things, as a bad I would say. The material objects of the Evilai are really popular in, in Greece. They're circulated widely and uh, people, well, there is a, a, a big part of the population that actually just buys it because it's fashionable. And especially these last years, for some reason, they have become even more fashionable uh, as objects uh, without any, let's say, spiritually infused meaning. Uh, but there is another big part of uh, Greeks uh, that buy them so as to be protected from any type of uh, negative energy, be it the evil eye, be it uh, spiritual energy or uh, evil energy that comes from evil spirits, for example. Uh, this is what they, they, some of my interlocutors would believe. And so, yeah, there is there is a big circulation of those material objects. Yeah. Coming to my last question, in your book, you also talk about uh, as a kind of transnationalism of uh, religion in Greece. Uh, so, and now uh, finding certain similar aspects of already practiced religion in uh, some of the other um parts of the country and, you know, trying to appropriate it or trying to uh, relate it to the, uh, the known everyday beliefs and practices and also the material objects and also the, at the present scenario, how, how is this transnational aspect of spirituality and religion um, is working out in Greece? I think I might take this opportunity to talk a little bit about my, my current project because I think it's more related to my current project than the, the, the book itself because obviously the, the book has uh, this um, um, trans-religious aspect uh, on it and uh, um, in the sense that it, it incorporates lots of through the practice of the evil eye, um, many uh, religious traditions come together uh, through this ritual, uh, especially through this ritual healing that I mentioned, uh, that is creatively encompass- encompasses Greek Orthodoxy through the prayer, um, Hinduism, you know, like yoga practice, feng shui, etc., etc., um so uh basically my current project is exactly about the uh, transnational religiosity and uh, in in southern europe although i don't focus just on on greece but i I do a comparative research between greece and portugal since both countries um went through uh well uh, a very difficult uh, phase of uh, economic and social crisis as well uh, at the same time almost which affected again their religiosity and uh, so in in that sense I explore the ideas of spiritual fluidity and uh, um, creativity and transformation uh, at the level again of lived religion and uh, vernacular uh, religious practice um, and it's this uh, transnational character of uh, everyday religious practice in, 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 in both Greece and Portugal that I find fascinating how, let's say, a very 
religious person in Greece who would incorporate some uh, in, uh, in, 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 in their belief or their types of healing, uh, globalized New Age uh, spiritual elements. Um, so it, 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 it is, um, let's say, rapture um, from a rigid religious tradition that it's, it, it's really important. And this is what the book also is trying to explain, um, that the boundaries have collapsed between uh, different religious traditions and now they can all creatively be incorporated and adapted in a very syncretic and very open uh, way uh, in everyday practice. And uh, and yeah, and then the, there is this uh, importance, this uh, of in the world we live in, of this transnational, uh, globalized, uh, multicultural character of contemporary religiosity. Yeah, I think transnational religiosity is something which will keep on increasing and becoming more prominent in the years to come. And that is a very interesting project uh, that you, you have and I would like to keep myself updated with your project. Uh, and so is there anything that I missed out in the conversation that you want to mention from the book? I think you were pretty <laughs> uh, clear and, uh, you know, you touched, you know, I think, most of the important topics in the book. So, yeah, thank you very much for being so detailed <laughs> and focused thank you yeah so if anyone would like to reach out to you regarding your book or have any questions or want to discuss how does that person reach out to you social media email or yeah anything else you know my yeah my if if they research my name and they put either new age spirituality in google or in other uh, search engines that my 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 details will come up and also if if they look at kriya's website at my works website which is www.kriya.pt I'm, I'm there as well so yeah, I, I, I would happily <laughs> be reached to, to discuss uh, more about my book and about yeah, future collaborations as well <laughs> Thank you Dr. Eugenia for being here at New Books Network I believe the listeners have really cleaned from your work and will continue to you know dabble in your work and also continue to carry on the conversation about your book because this is a very interesting and prominent work uh, that you have done and which I think people will be interested and also at the same time this is also up, uh, as you are working on transnationalism and all of those aspects this is an ongoing conversation an ongoing work that needs to be done so thank you very much uh, Dr. Eugenia for being here and yeah take care yeah bye-bye <laughs>